start a new series today. And it's on the book of Proverbs. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. Proverbs 1, we're going to start there. All right, let me ask you a question as we're, as we're kind of jump, going to jump into this today. Pretty much all of us have kind of a go-to person, right, or you want to have one when it comes to certain things that you, you need, when you need a reliable advice on something. So the car starts making noise, right? You have a go-to person. There's somebody, or you sure want one. Somebody you can say, here's the, here's the noise, here it is, okay. Think about who your go-to person is on that. There, or maybe, maybe you're not sure about a recipe and you're, you're not sure if you did it right and there's somebody you check who kind of knows that kind of thing. Or maybe it's about uh, decor or fashion. My daughter is the, my go-to person now. This, this, huh? Is this looking good, huh? All right, that's, thanks to her, yeah. Or maybe it's about your marriage or a dating situation you're in and there's somebody you call, there's somebody you check on, there's somebody... That you feel like they've got reliable advice. Maybe it's a parenting dilemma. Or, or maybe you're in conflict, conflict with somebody. And it's somebody who's trusted and it's somebody who's a friend. Maybe they're an expert on that area. Or maybe, maybe your go-to person is kind of yourself. Feeling pretty good about yourself right now because you thought that I'm the one who came to mind. I'm the one everybody else comes to. There is a crying need in life for a source of reliable wisdom. Something you can count on and know. You're going to get good advice. It's going to be accurate. It's going to work. It's right. And luckily, there is a book. And the name of that book is just how to do just about anything. 1,200 things that you might need done or want done, and you can go to the source from the editors of Reader's Digest. And it's everything from how to get a passport to how to clear clean your crystal, and what the rules of chess are, and how to assemble a tent, and how to do, you know, I mean, there's just lots and lots of stuff. So aren't you glad you came? You can go out and get the source of wisdom, except that not everything, in fact, not even the most important things are addressed in here, because this book isn't going to tell you how to have a clear conscience. And it's not going to tell you really how, the design, how you're designed for a healthy sex life. It's not going to tell you, it's not going to address how a person is actually supposed to cope with grief or with disappointment or discovering what their lasting purpose is or, or even how to make consistent sound investments monetarily, even practical stuff like that, how to find fulfillment in your life, how to... How to, how to guard your reputation right. Especially how to have a vital, vibrant soul. That, you're not going to find it there. Because see, that's found in another book. And God, our maker, our designer, the one who loves us and created the way for humans to live, has not just put us in a vacuum and said, go figure it out. Because he's good, he has actually given us a whole lot of wisdom, a source of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is kind of a cornerstone for that. And, and the Proverbs represent that. If you just, I'm just going to read the first um, seven verses, and that's kind of where we're going to camp a little bit just to kick things off in this. Uh, but listen to what it says. And these were, the Proverbs were mostly written and compiled by Solomon, who we'll see in a minute is a pretty good source for this kind of thing. 
It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And this is kind of the heading. For attaining wisdom and discipline. For understanding words of insight. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Doing what's right and just and fair. For giving prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables. The sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdoms, another verse calls it. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. God gave us this purpose, and right at the beginning, it's going to tell you what, 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 it's, what it's here to accomplish for us. By the way, I'm going to encourage you. We're starting the series today. It's going to run through, through the holidays. We'll take a little parenthesis for Christmas. We'll continue it. And, and, and you're going to find really, really practical stuff in the book of Proverbs. But you know what? There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And this has been done for several centuries now. I think it's just a really good... I'd like, I'd like to invite you and encourage you to do this. To take 31 days, kind of a month, although November's only got 30, right? Um, and read one chapter a day in Proverbs. In fact, read the chapter... Like today is the... What's today? The 7th, 8th. Read, read Proverbs 8 today. Read Tomorrow, read 9. And when you get to December, turn it over. And watch what it does. Watch, watch what it stirs up in you. Watch, I will guarantee you this. If you with an open mind just do that, you will find yourself writing stuff down or saying, you might have been reading the Bible for years and you go, I have never seen that in my life. Or you'll say, that applies to a situation I'm in the middle of right now. It's amazing what this does. So here's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. You could say there's a five-fold intention that's listed in these verses. All right, so if you look at verse two, it says, here's what they're for. It says, for attaining wisdom and discipline. Now, the word that's used there for wisdom is one that gets used primarily through the book of Proverbs. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, chokmah. It's a very, very powerful and rich word. And this, that phrase is almost like you could, it might even be the umbrella statement over the rest of it that says, here's how, what that's going to look like. And that word has some significance to it. Let me just read from Sid Bazell, who is a, an, an author and scholar on, on the book of Proverbs. He says, of the several words for wisdom, and related synonyms used in Proverbs, the primary, most, most frequent one is chokmah. It occurs 45 times in Proverbs. In the Old Testament, chokmah is used, listen, of the skill of craftsmen, sailors and singers, mourners, administrators and counselors. These workers and others, being knowledgeable, experienced and efficient in their areas of expertise, were considered, considered skillful. They were therefore wise. Similarly, in the spiritual realm, a person who possesses chokmah in reference to God is one who's both knowledgeable and experienced in, no, in following God's way. So in the Bible's wisdom literature, being wise means being skilled, hear this, being skilled in godly stuff, being skilled in godly living. Having God's wisdom means the ability to cope with life in a God-honoring way. So it, it's this, it's this heading that says, okay, there is a way to do life. You've been trying to figure it out on your own, maybe, but God's got it, and he's going to tell you. Here's, it, we're going to put it down in, on paper for you. God is going to supply that for us. Now, keep going, and, he, and here's the other phrase that gets used. For, this is verse 3, for acquiring uh, a disciplined and prudent life, which basically means setting a course proven that... Uh, uh, that is proven to lead toward health and fullness. You've got a lot of signals in your world telling you how to get healthy. You can do yoga, you can diet and exercise, you can do a lot of stuff, right? 
God says, no, what he's going to give you is kind of the channel in which to travel that will produce that. The next phrase says, doing what's right and just and fair, which refers to your first instinct, doing right and just and fair as a first instinct. So it comes naturally to you. I know something about you, and you can know this about me. Your first instinct is almost always selfish. Okay, we don't, we don't pretend otherwise around here. The first, my first reaction when somebody cuts me off on the freeway, my first thought when, somebody, when the phone rings, my first in- instinct is always, almost always selfish. Is yours? Just nod your head because you're a lion. If you, I, sorry. Look, we, we get over ourselves around here. So what the Proverbs do is help hone that so that more and more your first or you're closer to your first instinct is the reaction that would be qualified as right and just and fair, not selfish. It doesn't come just because you live your life. God got, has a way to help with that. And then it says, it, next phrase is, is to give, uh, the, uh, give the prudence to the simple. That word prudence means cleverness. You know what that means? It means the ability to kind of size things up and recognize traps. It, it, you know what this is? It's street smarts savviness, kind of be able to read the room, kind of know where things are going before they're ever going to happen. If you teach a young driver how to drive, you might, you might have been driving for years and maybe you got some wisdom. And sometimes you could tell a, a new driver, okay, that guy's going to pull out in front of you because you've been able to see three steps ahead and you know, but based on the mic of the car, the speed of the car, the time of day, all this stuff happens just naturally, right? Because you're an experienced driver and a young driver goes how did you know that and then they somebody hits them from the other side it just (laughs) that happens giving prudence to the simple means there's a cleverness to life that avoids being taken an ability to not be taken advantage of as much to be able to smell a rat if you need to to have some savvy about you and then the then the last phrase there that gets used there is in verse um, six for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings of, and riddles of the wise. Wait, Proverbs are there to help you understand Proverbs? You know, that might be the most fascinating of these because what it's talking, the phrasing of that actually means that it'll help you to be able to size up tricky, complex situations and figure out what needs to happen. Because life throws you riddles and complexities. How do you know what to do? God's got a way and he'll do that. And all of that, what he just described there, is what he says is the intention of what he's about to display, what he's about to just hand over to us. Now, the Proverbs are called, part of what's called, you heard in the quote earlier, the wisdom literature of the Bible. Five books, starting with Job. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. They're called the wisdom literature because they encompass this, some intensely practical, real-life advice for best earthly life under God. Now, the whole Bible does that, but they, they focus on giving that kind of input. And they come, as you saw in verse 1, compiled by a guy named Solomon. Now, in your program notes, the verses you can look up, you'll see a couple references to 1 Kings chapter 3 and 1 Kings chapter 4. You might be aware of the story. I won't ask you to turn there for the sake of time. But in 1 Kings chapter 3, that's where God says to Solomon in honoring him as the king, says, I'm going to let you choose one request that I'm going to grant for you. 
And Solomon says, okay, then I would like to ask you to grant me wisdom to rule these people that you've given me. God is very pleased with that because it's not a selfish act. He says, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom beyond what any man has ever experienced, but you're also going to wind up having some riches and the kind of things you might have asked for, but you didn't. And in chapter 4 of 1 Kings, it gives a summary of Solomon. It says, he rose in wisdom, and people from all over the world came to say, let this guy help us figure life out. Solomon, having given that supernatural intervention by God, did us a favor. And he compiled a whole lot of what some of of the things that he learned and the perspectives he had. And they are about every aspect of life. They spread the whole gamut. But they say, it it, it says something to us that God would do that. Here's what's true about God. Despite what you might be thinking, he really loves you. He really cares about you. God really is for you. God wants you to learn. He wants you to depend on him. He's not going to... Pro- he, he knows what's best more than we do. But part of what he'll do, because he loves us so much, is he says, I want you to succeed at the, this life thing. I really do. I, I want you to make the light, a life to the fullest. And I want to show you and help you how to do that. So here's some kindling for that fire. Here's how to put that into practice. God has made a way to do that. Solomon had a progressive kind of dispensing of his wisdom. And it has been said that the three primary books that Solomon had to do with uh, may have been written like this. It's Song of Solomon, which has to do with sensuality. and It's an R-rated, it's a, it's a good movie, man. Uh, Song of Solomon, about what healthy sex life is and romance is like. That was written in the early part of Solomon's life and wisdom journey. That Proverbs was written in the middle part of Solomon's wisdom journey. And Ecclesiastes was written at the end of Solomon's wisdom journey. You had a whole spectrum of life and his experiences through God's instrument here. And so there is value to this. And God, if you read a chapter a day, you're going to hear it over and over again. God's going to say, look, whatever you do, chase after this wisdom thing. It is worth possessing. It is so valuable. It, 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 you need it more than pretty much what you need anything. There's this legendary story that I actually researched to see if it's true because you hear it's urban legend. I understand that it's actually true. You may have heard this before, that Henry Ford, the automaker, was, was running his plants, and he asked a guy who's known as an electrical engineering genius, Charlie Steinmetz, to build the generators for his factories, and he did. And one day the generators all they ground to a halt, and no one could figure out what happened. And so... The the repairman they had couldn't find the problem. And so Henry Ford called Steinmetz back and said, I need to hire you again to come in and tinker with these machines and figure out what's on. And so Steinmetz did. He he didn't talk about a price. He just came in. He was there for a few hours. He, he, He messed with the machines, and he threw the switch, and the generators all came on. And Charlie Steinmetz, now this is a long time ago, right? Henry Ford days. He sends a bill for his services. And the bill he sends is for $10,000. Henry Ford, being a guy who likes money and doesn't like to part with it, was a little bit upset with that. And so even though he had hired him, he hadn't mentioned a price, he, he, he wrote a letter back to Steinmetz and said, I, I need you to justify this price 
and so I'd like you to itemize, your, itemize it for me. So Steinmetz wrote back, and this is what his itemization was. He said, he had two lines. He said, for tinkering with the generators, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. And it said, Henry Ford paid the bill. Because there's a certain kind of wisdom about life that you, it's hard to put a price on. It will save you your life. Proverbs is going to say that. Wisdom will save your life. It will save you grief. It'll help you grow. It'll form you into the person God intended and designed you to be. And that's what God has done there. And he wants you to succeed. He's giving you the cheat codes to life. Now, let's talk really briefly about the style and structure of the Proverbs. All right, now this is going to go quickly through this, but I just want you to understand, because if you read this, you're going to see some, some things about this. A proverb, by definition, is a standalone maxim about life. It's like a rule of thumb about life from God. Let me, let me read you uh, again from another um, Old Testament scholar on, on how this was. It says, as brief maxims, the verses in Proverbs are distilled to the point sentences about life. They boil down, crystallize, and condense the experiences and observations of the writers. The brief but concentrated nature of the maxims cause the readers to reflect on their meanings. They tell what life is like and how life should be lived. In a terse, no words wasted fashion, some statements in Proverbs relate what is commonly observed in life, others recommend or exert how life should be lived, and when advice is given, a reason for the counsel usually follows. So, so these are rules of thumb for life. Now, we all have some of those, right? Rolling stones and things. There's an old Italian proverb that says, you ready? You should write this one down. There is no such thing as too much garlic. That one's free. It's not from there. But what a proverb from Scripture does is it, is it takes it to another level of it being that the one who created and engineered this stuff is telling you how it best works. And it uses this poetic device that's an Old Testament um, Poetic device, it's called parallelism. Now, a parallel, just very quick, hang on with me, okay? Because this will help you if you kind of read through them. You, if, you, if you've read the Proverbs, you know, there's usually like an A line and a B line. And sometimes they seem like they say the same thing. And sometimes they say something different. And sometimes you go, is that just redundant? Why is it saying that? That is a device, that's you, a literary device, that's used for the purpose of helping people grasp a, a truth to a, another degree. That... that they are, it's like a couplet. And the second line explains or amplifies the first line. Here, let me just, again, I'm just going to draw on some other, some scholars on this. This is, this is what one says about it. Usually, though not always, the second line in a two-line parallelism does more than mer- merely repeat the words or thoughts of the first line. The second line may expand the first or complete it, define it, emphasize it, or, or more significant that, enlarge on it. It could be opposite to it, an alternative to it, or counterpart to it. It's like saying, okay, here's, here's the truth, A, and what's more, B. Now, we have parallelisms in our culture, and we use them all the time. So here's an example of one that you might just hear somebody say. Dogs are a man's best friend. The second line of the parallelism might say, they're always glad to see you. Second line amplifies, explains, it teases out a little bit the first line. Now, maybe you've heard this very, this one, right? Life is like a box of chocolates. This is a parallelism. You never know what you're going to get. Second line redefines or 
or contrasts or helps explain the, the first line. And this example would be a, a real one today. The Mets <laughs> ripped their, heart, their fans' hearts out. Give me a moment. But the second line of the parallelism might say <laughs> that. There are four kinds of parallelisms. They all have a certain purpose. All right? Now, a, the, a, a synonymous parallelism is one in which the second line pretty much restates in a way that helps amplify a little bit the first one. So here's an example from Proverbs, Proverbs 2.11. Discretion will protect you. Understanding will guard you. It's synonymous. It's just trying to amplify that truth. Then you've got antithetical parallelisms, where the first one stands in contrast to the next one. Here's an example of that in Proverbs 10.32. Lips of the righteous know what is fitting. Contrast, antithetical, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. An emblematic parallelism is one that makes a statement, and then it gives a, a simile or a metaphor to try to help you give a visual of it. So it says, so here's an example of that from Proverbs 10. Lazy people are pain to their employer. Now that makes sense, right? But here's a little simile for it. They're like smoke in the eyes or vinegar that sets the teeth on edge. And you go, oh, oh, right? It just takes it to another degree. And then there's a, what's called a synthetic parallelism, which here, here's an example of that from, from Proverbs it is better to be patient than powerful. It's going to, it, it's going to explain that just a little bit better for you. It's, a, it's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. And the second line continues the thought or describes something in the first line. Okay, enough learning? Enough learning? Four kinds of parallelisms when you look. Here's a point about them. These are truisms from God. They are not laws and they're not promises. God doesn't say it's... It absolutely always has to be this way. It's what he says is, uh, in real life, this is how it tends to be. Just learn. It's smart to learn. This is how it tends to be. So, so we would say, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Is that an absolute truth? No. I've seen some people look and walk and quack that aren't ducks. But there's a truism to it. It tends it tends to be true, right? You can kind of just, he's just kind of saying, look, we're going to call a spade a spade here. God's going to tell you what life is like. He's going to do it in no uncertain terms. He's going to put it right out there. It's kind of raw. He's not telling you this is his promise of how it'll always be. He'll just say, if you want to know how life works with me, just know this. And so you have, here's some examples of that. Very, very practical things. Proverbs 25, 17. Don't visit your neighbors too often or you'll wear out your welcome. Some of you would like to send that to your neighbor. Here's another one. The lazy person's full of excuses saying, if I go outside, I might meet a lion in the street and be killed. It's not a promise. It's a maxim. It's a truism. Proverbs 10, 19. Some of you, and I won't look at anybody in particular, need to hear this one. I won't look at myself either. Don't talk too much because it fosters sin. Be sensible and turn off the flow. Proverbs 25, 20 says, singing cheerful songs to a person whose heart is heavy is as bad as stealing someone's jacket in cold weather. 
But rubbing salt in a wound, man, that's not good. Proverbs 25, 19, putting confidence in an unreliable person. You know what that's like? It's like chewing on with a toothache. Ah, right. Or walking with a broken foot. And it says a lot of things about relationships. And young men, you need to get this. Young guys, here we go. A beautiful, a, a woman who's beautiful but lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Oh, that's just horrible, isn't it? You know what? God doesn't care. He's just going to say, look, I'm going to give you a visual to understand what life is like. He's not just casting aspersions. He's just telling the truth. And Proverbs, again, it is not a hard and fast rule. It's, it's saying there's ways to approach things. When you're in certain circumstances, understand that some, sometimes one thing is true, sometimes another thing is true. I think this one's fascinating. If you look at Proverbs 26, you'll see this. When arguing with fools... Okay, let me just stop and let me think of, let you pause and think about when that's happened or is happening right now. Here's the word it says. Don't answer their foolish arguments. Okay, don't chase down what they're saying. Don't try to correct them or you'll become as foolish as they. Sounds true. The very next verse says this. When arguing with fools, be sure to answer their foolish arguments. Or they will become wise in their own estimation. And people go, oh, I saw, oh, look, the Bible's incorrect. Look, I, it's got problems. It doesn't match up with each other. Really? Or could it be that God is saying, here's wisdom. You need to size people up sometimes. And no, there are certain people you shouldn't argue with because it's not going to help them. And there are other people you need to respond to them. Well, what's the difference? The difference is wisdom. You grow in wisdom And you learn how to do that. You learn how to recognize that both of those can be true. God does not couch those things. He he, he doesn't make them politically correct. He just puts them out there. Now, the intended audience for the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs. You're in Proverbs 1. Take a look at verse 4. It says, it's for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. And then it goes on to say the wise can learn too. But in primarily, the intended audience of Proverbs is to the young those who are new to God and the naive, which is not anybody in the room, right? And that's one of the first signs of not being wise is we, don't, we think we are. Over and over again, he's going to use a, a phrase here that you'll see in a minute where he says, he, he says, my son and my son. Now, Solomon had sons, but he also described people who were entrusted to him spiritually as his children. He's calling us his children, and he says, Look, those who are younger in the faith, listen, 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 listen. God will help you if you listen. So if you're young, you're new to God, you're naive. And it's a real-life primer. It's a stu- what he's going to do is he's going to talk about the stuff they don't usually teach in the textbooks. You know, if you've got, at your business, wherever your business might be, there's the person who is the chief executive officer or the president of the company, and then there's the guy who really knows how everything works. Right? Often, most often, it's not the same person. You want to find out where they keep this and that. You want to know how things work. You find that janitor who's been around for 45 years, that's the guy you ask. How do you get stuff done around here? The stuff that they don't teach you in the manuals, that's what God's going to do here. And he's going to throw us with it. There's a story in a, a book called Absolute Zero Gravity. It says, 
an angel appears at a faculty meeting. And he tells the dean that in return for his unselfish and exemplary behavior, the Lord will grant him with his choice of infinite wealth, infinite wisdom, or infinite beauty. Without hesitation, the dean responds, he will select infinite wisdom. Done, the angel says, disappears in a cloud of smoke and a bolt of lightning, and now all the heads turn toward the dean, who sits surrounded with a faint halo of light. And at length, one of his colleagues whispers, say something. The dean looks at them and says, I should have taken the money. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about next. I just wanted to say it. But the Proverbs say stuff that's meaningful and true about life. And this is who it's intended for. I'm, I'm going to show you these. There's a group of people that's, that mostly benefit from this who probably aren't going to pay a lot of attention to it. It's probably the people who are not going to read a chapter a day of Proverbs. It's a whole lot of people who say, yeah, I kind of know all this. The Bible calls them those who are wise in their own eyes. You're experienced, you're knowledgeable, you're educated, and we equate that with being wise. And Proverbs says that's who needs to listen. This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Let's talk about fear the Lord more in a minute. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. The worst students in a class are the ones who think they already know what's being talked about. The worst students of life tend to be the ones who think they've got it figured out on their own. Exuding self-confidence. I've been here. I know what I'm doing. I don't need anybody's input. I don't need advice. I don't need outside voices in my life. Those are the ones who generally never get to wisdom because knowledge gets in the way. Wisdom only takes root in those who don't equate wisdom with the knowledge they've got. And sometimes unlearning what we think, what we've assumed, what has worked for us in the past is more difficult than learning. God invites, epitomizes, if you read Proverbs 1 and beyond it, you're going to see how he personifies as a woman calling to people, say, come, you think you know, but you don't. Come and learn. And church people are often the worst of this because we got just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Some of the most immature, I'm just going to say, some of the most immature Christians I know are the people who can most quickly quote you a Bible verse. They've got one for every subject. They know it. They've studied it. They can answer it. And that's as far as it goes. I know. I've learned. I've studied the Bible. And God says knowledge has, a, has this capacity of inflating your ego, but it's not wisdom. And so Solomon repeats this phrase over and over again. If you look at chapter 1, verse 8, he will use this phrase. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Be somebody who listens. If you put it in a phrase, it might be this one. He invites people to be humbly teachable. And so you, you see phrases over and over again like these. 
Listen, my son. 5-1, my son, pay attention. Verse 7-1, my son, keep my words. 22-17, pay attention and listen. 3-1, my son, don't forget my teaching. 23-19, listen, my son, and be wise. Doug Larson, an author, wrote this. He said, wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to talk. You want an indicator whether your focus is on knowledge or on wisdom? Here's one. You wrote down those four types of parallelisms. That got your attention. You went, ooh, that's interesting. I should learn that. But you skipped the part, or it kind of blew right past you, the part about singing when somebody's hurting. One of the indicators is that we're quick to dispense advice. And we offer resources like, you know what I did? Or try this or read this. Put this into practice. And God says, hang on a second. Listen. And the single biggest variance that comes from moving from knowledge to wisdom is tucked right in here in Proverbs 1. Look at verse 7. It's what he calls the fear of Yahweh. The fear of the Lord. This does not mean shaking in your boots because he may... Take you, take you out at any moment. It's talking about a, a conscious understanding of your rightful position in the cosmos. That there is an almighty God who is full of power and grace and truth, and you're not him. That you stand as one who is completely dependent on him, and therefore you stand... It, it, the only right response to that being is utter deference that says, I don't care what my best ideas are. I don't care what makes sense to me. If you say otherwise, it's going to be true. I'm going to follow that. It's the fear of him, the reverence of him, the respect of him, and the knowledge that he holds your life in his hand, too. The thing that will move us from knowledge of our, of our world to wisdom and how to function, and it starts with a bowed knee in front of the only one who gives us life in the first place. You saw people get baptized today because they said, I am declaring that I've bowed my knee to God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. That is the beginning, the flashpoint for wisdom happening. And it means that I will then choose. The fear of the Lord means I will acquiesce every part of my life to him. I'm not just going to part the parts I say I need help with. Not just the parts that don't make sense to me. The parts I haven't figured out. I'm going to acquiesce to him in everything and I'm going to say, what you, what you say is right and good, and I will defer to it. I got nothing. I defer in everything. That is the beginning of wisdom. God invites us to kind of sit at his feet and say, all right, let me tell you how life is really going to work. Now, can I warn you? Get ready for this. You get into this, and he's going to prick you. He's going to unsettle us. He's going to turn a spotlight on some things and say, Okay, that area of life, I got a better way for that one too. It will test us. Do we really want his wisdom? But for those who embrace it, those who chase it and capture it and bring it into their lives, there is an optimal level of regular old human life, talking about how we talk and who we spend time with and how our day goes and how we spend our money. There is an optimal level of that that God makes available to us because he has said, I want you to have the best life you can have. 
These are the truisms to point you to it. We're going to dive in more about what those are, one at a time, starting next week. For now, I invite you to say to God, okay, I'm going to take my rightful position. Pray with me.